As a long-time foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China, where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts. Hello there, I'm Nurse Mo, and welcome to the Straighty Nursing Podcast, where I teach nursing concepts and share tips on how to thrive in school and at the bedside. I'm so glad that you're here. And today we're diving into a quick pathophysiology concept. And before we do that, let's take a quick minute for a listener shout out that goes out to Stephanie, who says this, I was on the fence about the whole study sesh thing, but I listened to some lessons and I'm hooked, lady. You are a phenomenal resource and I appreciate all your hard work and dedication to the world of nursing students. Stephanie, thank you so much. I am so glad that you got off the fence and joined us in study sesh. And I want to wish you all the very best as you continue on your journey to become a nurse. So what Stephanie is talking about is my private podcast study sesh that is utilized as a study tool to learn and review material for nursing school. I'll put a link in the episode notes if you'd also like to check it out. So I don't know about you, but are you ever working with a patient or maybe you're going through a case study and you come across a concept and you think, hmm, that's interesting. I wonder why that happens. But then you get busy with something else and you move on and you kind of forget about it. But then you come back and you see that thing again, that concept again, that condition, and you think, hmm. I wonder how that happens. And then you don't have time to look it up right then. Well, this happens to me all the time. And I get really interested in things that I see at the bedside, but I often don't have a chance, of course, in the moment to pause what I'm doing to go and deep dive into them. And one of those is the fact that I was noticing that so many of my patients with congestive heart failure also had anemia. And I thought I would look into that and explain the physiology of that to myself and to you on the podcast. When I understand a concept, it just makes the whole care of the patient so much easier to kind of understand in a global view, you know, what interventions are being done, why they're being done, what you're watching for all of that. It really just rounds out your ability to be an effective nurse. So let's dive into the relationship between heart failure and anemia. So the research shows that up to 70% of patients with congestive heart failure also have anemia. And these studies indicate that the specific cause of anemia in heart failure actually remains unclear, right? You thought you were going to get a straightforward answer. Many times in the, you know, physiology world and the pharmacology world and all of that, we know that something happens, but we don't know exactly why it happens. This is another case of that. But what we do know is that the cause is multifactorial. Iron deficiency, decreased EPO or erythropoietin levels, chronic inflammation, and activation of RAS are the causes most supported by the data. So we're going to talk a little bit about each of these. So first, let's look at iron deficiency. 
the pathophysiology of iron deficiency in heart failure, unfortunately, is not totally understood either. And research is underway to study iron homeostasis and the role of iron regulating hormones and the effects of iron deficiency on cardiac function. Underlying causes for iron deficiency in heart failure are suggestive to be due to advanced age of the individual, malnutrition, chronic inflammation, renal failure, increased iron losses, and reduced iron absorption. So iron deficiency anemia can definitely play a role in our patients with heart failure. Now, the other factor that I mentioned was decreased erythropoietin levels. So patients with heart failure also often have renal failure as well as anemia, and this is a condition referred to as cardiorenal anemia or CRA syndrome. So patients with CHF have increased renal sympathetic nerve activity and chronic activation of RAS, both of which contribute to decreased renal blood flow over time. And with reduced renal blood flow, the kidneys experience hypoxia and ischemia, which leads to renal insufficiency and decreased production of erythropoietin. Do you find it hard to sleep at night? Then the Sleep Cove podcast can help you. Hi, I'm Christopher Fitton, the voice and clinical hypnotherapist behind Sleep Cove. Sleep Cove features sleep hypnosis, meditations and bedtime stories, all designed to help those of you who struggle at night to achieve a restful and peaceful night's sleep. Search for Sleep Cove on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and see why Sleep Cove helps millions of people sleep deeply all night long. Next is chronic inflammation. Though the exact pathophysiological process of anemia caused by inflammation is not known, it is thought to be related to increases in both pro-inflammatory cytokines and hepcidin, which is a hormone that regulates the body's use of iron. To further potentiate anemia, elevated levels of some cytokines inhibit erythropoietin production and suppress the bone marrow. Hepcidin itself downregulates ferroportin, which is a protein that transports iron from inside the cell to the outside of the cell. Hepcidin also decreases absorption of iron in the duodenum and decreases the release of iron stores. So patients with chronic inflammation have elevated levels of hepcidin. And then we have activation of the RAS pathway. So that RAS pathway is activated in response to a few different things. One of those is decreased blood pressure, and another common one is decreased sodium levels. So as a review, uh, the RAS pathway involves renin being released in response to those things, decreased blood pressure, decreased sodium levels, and renin cleaves angiotensinogen and converts it into angiotensin-1. And then angiotensin-converting enzyme, or ACE, converts angiotensin-1 into angiotensin-2. And then angiotensin-2 activates the hormone aldosterone, and aldosterone causes sodium and water retention. So as a result, intravascular volume and blood pressure are increased and renal perfusion improves. And though this is really helpful in improving cardiac output, 
chronic activation of the RAS pathway can lead to cardiac remodeling and this kind of persistent SNS activation, both of which can further worsen heart failure. And then you might be thinking, well, let's give them an ACE inhibitor or an angiotensin receptor blocker so that we don't have the RAS pathway activated all the time. But these medications themselves can actually decrease erythropoietin levels and decrease the bone marrow's response to erythropoietin. And then in addition, hemodilution secondary to RAS with all that increased intravascular volume causing hemodilution can lead to anemia as well. All right, so those were the key factors that have been studied and believed to be uh, components of anemia and heart failure. That was iron deficiency, decreased erythropoietin levels, chronic inflammation, and this kind of ongoing activation of RAS. So why do we care so much about anemia and heart failure? Why is this such a concern? So anemia is of concern in heart failure because it can actually lead to worsening heart function. So anemia causes tachycardia and increased stroke volume because the heart is trying to work harder to compensate for the anemia and this increased workload on the heart can actually worsen heart failure. And then reduced renal blood flow occurs with anemia. And when we have reduced renal blood flow, we have reduced renal function. And this leads to fluid retention, which further stresses the heart and can eventually cause left ventricular hypertrophy and, of course, worsening heart failure. So it really is a vicious cycle. Heart failure leads to anemia. The anemia worsens the heart failure. Both conditions cause damage to the kidneys, which worsens the anemia and the congestive heart failure. You may again hear this cycle called the cardiorenal anemia syndrome or CRA syndrome. Unfortunately, patients with CRA syndrome tend to be more resistant to heart failure medications and experience more frequent hospitalizations. So how is anemia in heart failure treated? Because anemia in heart failure is associated with poorer outcomes, more frequent hospitalizations, and increased mortality, its treatment has been the subject of numerous studies. Some various methods have been evaluated, including erythropoietin-stimulating agents, or ESAs. Though erythropoiesis-stimulating agents have shown to improve anemia in patients with chronic kidney disease, the research does not support their use in heart failure. Studies show that ESAs increase the risk for thromboembolic events and do not have a significant effect on mortality or hospitalization in patients with heart failure. At this time, ESAs are not actually recommended. And what about packed red blood cell transfusions? So blood transfusions do provide benefits, but they're short-term benefits for patients with symptomatic and severe anemia. It's not a suitable treatment for long-term management. And then there's iron supplementation. Iron supplementation has been shown to be a viable treatment option for anemia related to heart failure. Now, because patients with heart failure have increased levels of hepcidin, which as a reminder, decreases absorption of iron in the duodenum, IV supplementation has shown to be more effective than PO supplementation. 
And then, of course, we're also going to address contributing factors. Patients may receive medications or therapy for other factors that can contribute or exacerbate the anemia. This could include supplementation with vitamin B12 and or folate. This could include thyroid hormone replacement or treatment of inflammatory comorbidities. I hope this brief summary helps you understand why patients with heart failure often have anemia and the challenges associated with its treatment. Next week, we are diving into pulmonary hypertension. So I really hope to see you back here for that. Bye for now. This podcast is brought to you by Straight A Nursing. Have you ever wished that you had a direct line to your pediatrician to ask all the questions that constantly crop up while parenting? We sure have. That's why we launched the Bites of Health podcast. Every morning, we'll answer a commonly asked pediatric question in five minutes or less. You can tune in while you're making your second cup of coffee or from the school drop-off line. So be sure to tune in to Bites of Health, streaming now.